the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school series on Cover 3. I bring on the team experts from the 24-7 sports staff and ask them the questions I care about. No fluff. Which players will be toughest to replace? What position groups are sneakily better or worse than I realize? We get you the scoop on each team in 20 minutes or less. Let's go. Hey, guys. Welcome back in. Bud Elliott here, and this is my Cover 3 college football summer school series. Today, we're going to go out west. We're going to talk Arizona. I'm going to bring on Jason Shear of Wildcat Authority, the foremost expert on everything Arizona. If you guys did not check out the site, you really should. You guys know I bring the best guests on here to talk, and Jason knows his stuff on Arizona. So welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So a, a nice jump forward for Arizona last year, 5-7. and seven. Uh, They did crack the top 80 in the power rankings, which, you know, if you're Georgia, not great. But for Arizona, that, that's a substantial step forward. It had to be pretty fun to cover these guys. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot more fun than the years before that. Uh, you know, Arizona football, if you guys are familiar with the program, was one, if not the worst major program in the nation. Uh, really bad, not fun to watch at all. I mean, it was just a couple years ago, three years ago, they lost 70-7 to to ASU. So the fact that they were competitive was nice, and, and they won some football games. And uh, it was just a lot more entertaining product on the field overall. Absolutely. And the real driver of their, their improvement was an offense that was 21st nationally, if you adjust for opponent, which is a huge jump for them. Um, Jaden Delora, quarterback, had a, a pretty interesting year. So I, I, I find this guy kind of fascinating. I mean, 63% completions, but he also throws 13 picks. But his sack avoidance, if you look at like the pressure rate allowed versus the sacks that he actually took, is great. So, like, I don't know, maybe he's throwing more picks after like crazy scrambles and he's just throwing out of bounds or something like that. But that sack avoidance number is is really pretty awesome. And and he showcases a strong arm, I mean, 48% success rate on dropbacks. Like, this guy might be one of the more underappreciated quarterbacks out there. Yeah. I mean, and you nailed it. A lot of his interceptions came, uh, you know, I think th- three of them came against Cal when they were down pretty big and he was trying to really push it. And, uh, he had multiple picks where he would kind of scramble around and instead of throwing it out of bounds, he would throw an interception. And, and that's probably been the the focus in the offseason is kind of living to play for for another down. But um, he he's super talented. You know, there's a lot of lists of best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 and and he's not on it. And and I, I think it's been noticed around the program. Uh, the coaching staff's really high in him. You know, they believe that if they can coach him up a little bit more and and keep him disciplined, he's going to have a, a huge season. The the talent is absolutely there. The system's there. The guys around him. He returned a, a lot on offense. He's a guy where, uh, you know, Arizona's had quarterback competitions pretty much every year in the last, like, five years or so. And Jed Fish at the end of last season said, basically, make no mistake about it, Jaden Delora is our starting quarterback. And, um, you know, you, you've seen he had a, he had a nice spring, and, and they absolutely believe that he's ready with some extra maturity to kind of take that next step and, and have an even better season. I, I would say, like, like the average fan out there, can, can you name Arizona's running backs? They, they probably couldn't, but like Wiley and Coleman had a sneakily efficient year that, that like, maybe it was because teams were focused on, on the passing game so much. And I, don't, I don't really blame them, I guess, but 
those guys made the most of their opportunities. It, it, this is a, a fairly balanced attack, it seems. I assume that'll continue. Yeah, I mean, Arizona's running back group, to me, is is super underrated. Uh, Michael Wiley in the Territorial Cup against ASU ran for over 200 yards, and a lot of people thought that he would go pro or, or even transfer just because that's what everyone's doing these days. But uh, he came back, and, and so he came back for another year. Jonah Coleman, for I was a freshman, he looks bigger, stronger. They have DJ Williams back. Um, you know, they have Rayshon Speedy Luke, who was a true freshman but got hurt last season. So they really have four running backs that they plan on using this season in, in uh, different roles. And the good thing is they all kind of complement each other. None of them are really exactly the same, but um, it, it is a group that they're very confident in. I don't know if they're going to run the ball that much more. It's kind of a, it, it depends on the system. And, and they're really, their offense is very much based on what other teams are giving them. Um, but, you know, when, when you're talking about positions of concern for Arizona, running backs don't come up at all. I mean, it is a group that they're confident in and, and has uh, quite a bit of talent. So at the receiver position, I, I like Cowing, and I really like McMillan quite a bit. It was a, a stud, true freshman. They do lose Dorian Singer to USC. And I thought one of the things just I, I didn't get to watch every Arizona game, but I, I do try to w- watch a lot of late night stuff. Having that trio is was pretty scary. What? What kind of drop-off, if any, would you expect from this room? And if there's not a drop-off, who would you expect to fill that role uh, that, that Singer had? So Arizona, what, what they did is they kind of moved things around a little bit. Jacob Cowing was in the slot at Arizona. He played outside a little bit at UTEP. And, and what they did is they moved Cowing to that outside spot where Singer was. So now Cowing and, and T-Mac are on the outside. And they have a, a guy that was a freshman last year, Kevin Green Jr., who they really like. He put together a really strong spring they're confident in his ability and it also wouldn't surprise me if they go out and try to land a wide receiver in the portal uh, montana lamonius craig is a guy that that they've been recruiting and there there's others and so you know there's there's depth at wide receiver but anytime you land a, a player of dorian or lose a player of dorian singer's quality there's going to be some questions they like kevin green and, and i think when you talk to the coaching staff they believe a lot of it is the the system where they'll be able to plug in a guy that that they are confident in. And while he may not get Singer's touchdown numbers or numbers overall, there's ways to kind of make up for that or they can get close. So, um, you know, they, they like Howing on the outside. T-Mac's going to take a jump, and and it seems like they believe in Kevin Green being able to make a, an impact as well. The offensive line, they do lose their right tackle, Peyton Fears. They, they lose Josh Donovan. Fears' numbers were, were not particularly good. Donovan seemed to be a, a decent a decent player when he was in the lineup. Uh, does this group, we think status quo, or is there a reason to, to expect a big step up or a big step back? I think that's probably the biggest concern on offense is the offensive line. Um, you know, Jordan Morgan coming back, the way he came back kind of sucks. He, he tore his ACL. Uh, he would have been a first-round pick. And so um, he's he came back to school for a year, which, you know, it kind of sucks for him, but it's great for Arizona. So figuring he's healthy and they do expect him to be healthy for that first game, he'll be the left tackle. And what they did is they moved Jonas Sabanea to right tackle. Um, he was really good as a freshman. He is 100% a, a future NFL player, first-round pick type of talent. And so they they locked that up at tackle. One of their the right guard position is probably a little iffy. I could see them going in the transfer portal for that. Um, they landed one of the best guards of the country at a high school in Raymond Polito. He couldn't come to campus early, which is a bit of a concern. Usually you like Lyman to come in early and learn and adjust. But if he adjusts quickly, he could make a push for that starting spot. Um, but overall, you know, I think the offensive line is fine. But when you look at the offense as a whole, it's, it's probably the biggest concern. Let's let's go ahead and switch here to the defense. And uh, we the, the super positive portion of the podcast is basically over. Now we're going to talk a little bit uh, lesser of a unit, or at least it was last year. We'll see how it is this year. Um, if you look at the power ratings out there, whether it's SP or, or FPI or whatever, most of them only had four or five defenses in the whole country as worse than Arizona's defense. And I, I mean, I didn't, I don't really see a strength. They, they did play at times, at least like their stats profile for listeners at home, a, a kind of an extreme bent but don't break. They, they, were, they did not allow a ton of bombs, but they did allow teams to march down the field in an order, orderly fashion. And then once they got to the red zone, they also provided no resistance there. So like if you bend, but don't break, but then you immediately break when people get to the red zone, there's not, it's really just kind of a slower death. Right. I, so, I mean, Jason, my numbers have this defense as worse this year. So I'm really interested to pick your brain about this. Uh, they lose 
like their top three defensive linemen to graduation LSU and USC. And I don't know if the, if the kid's going to start at LSU, but I think the guy that the guy who went to USC is probably going to start. It, it, is this defensive line have a chance to not have a big drop off? I mean, it's weird for me projection wise. I'm not going to project them to be worse than like you know Hawaii's defense because I know I know they're not, but that's a lot of personnel to lose. Yeah, I actually think they're going to be better. And, okay. Really? And, okay. Yes. Let's hear this. Well, the reason is they went out and they basically at the end of last year said, we're going to redo the entire defense through the transfer portal. And they have some young guys, but they went out and like, they, for instance, um, you know, they, they landed Tyler Manoa from, from UCLA, who was a solid defensive lineman. UCLA had to move him to the O-line because of depth reasons. Now he's back at the D-line. He's looked good. They just landed Taylor Upshaw, who was originally at Michigan, then was at Colorado, left Colorado. So he'll have a playing time. Um, they landed CO from Indiana football, who's a, a very solid interior defensive lineman. He'll come in and, and he'll play as well. So they, uh, Bill Norton from George is another one. They landed him. And so they, they went to the portal and basically their strategy was we're going to get bigger. And, okay. you know, Parishand, uh, the one that went to LSU, that one is, is very interesting to me. I'm curious to see how he does. Um, Keon Bars. Uh, is is a very solid lineman. I think he'll do well at USC. But the biggest thing that's noticeable to me is they added a lot of size. Um, they, they have legit 300-pounders on the defensive line. Uh, they have more depth than they did last season. There's guys where by the end of the year, like a Jacob uh, Kungaika, Tai Tai, Uigalele, those guys were playing more as the year ended, and now they're, they got bigger and stronger, and the coaching staff believes they'll take a step forward. They absolutely lost production on the defensive line. Um, they're just betting on the transfers and the other guys being better than the guys they lost. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That makes sense. And at, at the very least, it's a it's a quantity play too to, to where they're staying fresher. I mean, I'm sure the drop off from the guys they lost to the to some of the other dudes they had to play a lot last year were, you know, could be significant. Uh moving back a little bit on the defense, three of the top four, you know, listed linebackers are gone to transfer uh to UMass, transfer to Iowa, which surprised me a little bit, and then uh to I believe graduation, right? R- Roberts, Eccles, and Cage. It, are any of those guys losses that you feel are, are significant losses? And, and if if not, who would you have stepping up in their roles? I think Eccles is going to hurt a little bit. You know, he was kind of a leader on the defense. Jerry Roberts, who went to UMass, put up some numbers, but didn't really fit the scheme very well. Uh, he was the guy that Don Brown brought over. Then Don Brown went to UMass and brought him back over when he went to UMass. He fits that scheme better. But that's another position. Like Arizona has Jacob Manu. Uh, who's a freshman last year who really impressed. He's returning, but then they went to Oregon. They got Justin Flo, um, and they they went to Washington. They got Daniel Humuli, and so they've they've added guys. They went to Cal. They got Oren Patu. I mean, there's there's guys that they've added in the transfer portal, and it's just a matter of how good they're going to be. Like Justin Flo, the coaching staff loves. We know that how highly rated he was coming out of high school, but he wasn't able to put it together at Oregon. So are we looking at the Justin Flo that came out of high school? Or there's Justin Flo from Oregon. Where, and that's a big thing. If it's the Justin Flo out of high school, in high school. Right. I mean, and he was it, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And so if he's that guy, then there's it's an immediate upgrade. But if he's the guy that got injured and struggled at Oregon, you know, there's going to be some growing pains there. I, I guess it'll just depend on you can get injured and somebody else takes your spot and, and then you're not able to get back on the field. But like if you're injured and you lost a step, then, then you're a different profile. So did, was he in for spring? Yeah, he was in for spring and, and he was, I, I would say, 
you know, you can make a real argument that he was Arizona's best defender all spring. Okay. I mean, he came in right away and was making impacts and the coaching staff absolutely love him. Nice. I mean, that's that's pretty encouraging right there. Like that that's nice. Um, so they do lose to the secondary. Christian Roland Wallace goes to USC. Looks like they expect him to start based on talking to Ryan Abraham earlier this week. And then they lose I guess they're top safety to UNLV, but like that's a clear downgrade. So I don't know how how big of a loss that that guy actually is. I, sh- should we be downgrading the secondary here? I I would assume not, right? Or am I wrong here? No, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, Christian Roland Wallace was is legitimately good. Obviously, he went to USC to start, but uh, they have a guy named a uh, great name, Ephesians Prysock, who was a that is a great name. A, yep, a four star coming out of high school. He was actually committed to USC and decommitted to go to Arizona. He's a 6'3 corner. I mean, he, to me, he's a guy that is a future pro. I don't know what round or whatever, but he looks like an NFL player. He's starting, and then they went, um, and they added a guy, Charles Yates, out of Juco. They could add another guy out of the transfer portal. I think they'll be fine at corner. Safety is a little bit of a concern. Jackson Turner going to UNLV uh, was a little weird, but he's another guy that was getting hurt a lot last season. Uh, they went, and they added Genesis Smith out of high school, um, Chandler Hamilton, who who I like a lot, the coaching staff likes. Uh, you know, they're they're bringing back the other guys at safety from last season, Isaiah Taylor, and so they they feel comfortable in their secondary. I could see it being the same. Um, that wouldn't surprise me if there's not like a huge increase in productivity, but I would be surprised if it's worse. Gotcha. Where on this team would you say, other than quarterback, uh, is the position group that has the largest drop off from the quality of starters to the quality of the reserves? Ooh, you know, to me, it's it's probably, you know, offensive line. I, I think, I, and, and I think you could probably say that for a lot of teams in the country. Yes, but it, that has uh, been a very popular answer. <laughs> you know, if if one of the main, like if a guy like Jordan Morgan or Jonas Savanea got hurt, uh, or even Wendell Moe at, at left guard, the drop-off would be enormous. I mean, the, the the those three are just clearly, clearly better than their backups, even at center. Um, you, you know, you, it would be like that. I, I think the offensive line is is one injury away from, I don't want to say being decimated, but there would be a, a very clear drop-off with one injury or whatever it may be. But it kind of got dealt a, a bit of a, a tough hand here if if your opinion of the league is is similar to mine. Like, like you know, I think the the other four teams closer to the bottom, Cal, Stanford, Colorado, and, and Arizona State, I, I kind of think of Washington State as being like a little bit of a step up from from those other four and they don't they don't get to play cal and they don't get to play uh shoot there's one other one they don't get to play right so they don't they don't get to play the other four bottom teams or it's just just cal they don't play and then they have to go to mississippi state as well which is is kind of difficult what what does this defense need to get to like assuming the offense stays like top 20 top 30 level like do they need to go from like 125th to like 90th to make a bowl do they need to have a bigger jump than that because it, it's got a they won't make a bowl if the defense doesn't make significant strides. We're trying to figure out like how much better do they have to be if they want to go bowling. I think like if Arizona's defense is eighth in the conference, they make a bowl. Like it's like because yeah. they were they were bad. I mean they were that bad. I think you know if if I don't expect the defense to all of a sudden be awesome, but average. Like if they have an average defense, they'll make a bowl. I mean there are games like last year against Cal, uh, they scored forty points or whatever, and they lost. Against Cal, they like which is yeah, crazy. They like yeah. three hundred yards rushing to Cal, uh, you know that. And so, you know, if they don't do that, they make a bowl. Like there were games where they just had no, you know, they went on the road against Washington, scored, you know, threw for four hundred yards, whatever, and lost because they couldn't make a stop. And, and so, if the defense was even average last year, they're in a bowl. So I, I would say like eighth in the conference, and they're probably in a bowl. Awesome. Jason, I really appreciate the time, man. Like nobody knows this stuff like Jason does for Arizona. And we look forward to having him back on Cover Three soon, man. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No doubt. Hey, y'all. Welcome back into Bud Elliott Summer School. This is where we talk everything college football and get the real lowdown on these teams. And I'm really excited to talk Clemson today, bringing in Anna Adams of Clemson 24-7, joining us again. Anna, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I enjoy doing this. Absolutely. So Clemson last year, 11 and three ACC champions, pretty much every power rating out there had them at a top 15 level, a a pretty good season. Most teams in college football would take that. Obviously Clemson has been so darn good in the last decade that I I think it's a 
a little disappointing for them. Um, what what is what is kind of the vibe there at Clemson right now? I think coming off last year, especially the uh, Orange Bowl loss to Tennessee, where it wasn't a close game, it, it was pretty uh, defeating because the fan base was uh, was pretty irate with the offense and how it was going, to say the least. And I think a lot of fans didn't think that Dabo Sweeney would make a change at offensive coordinator. Um, and then in January, we saw that happen, and he did. And so I think now um, everyone, uh, Clemson fans, seemed super stoked about Garrett Riley and what he can do with this offense. Um, I think they're cautiously optimistic for year one based on a few things like the ceiling, I would say, a wide receiver for starters. This is Kate Klubnick's first year as a full-time starter. Um, and then also on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you've got a lot of talent, but this is still West Goodwin. I mean, he's still green as a defensive coordinator. He's only in year two. So um, I think last year you saw a little a drop-off in some ways, um, not necessarily schematically, but maybe some in some, in some playmaking aspects. So um, I think Clemson fans want to see the defense get back to kind of how it was under Brent Venables, and I think it will. No doubt. So let, let's let's jump into that offense. Last year, uh, most power ratings, I think, had them like top 40-ish. They do bring in Garrett Riley, which, I mean, personally, I know on Cover 3, we, we've been saying for a long while, like, is this really an offensive staff that is befitting a team that tries to play at a national title level. I thought Garrett Riley was was a home run. What what are the biggest changes that that viewers at home will notice when they watch Clemson this year? We asked co-often or we asked passing game coordinator Kyle Richardson that and he, and he said you're going to see more plays being made, which I mean that's a nice answer, but you know, if you want a little, something a little more substantial, I think you you'd probably point to um, just simplicity. I mean, Kay Klubnick told us early in fall camp I mean, sorry, early in spring ball, I mean, he estimated there was probably 80 plays that go into last or last year with any given week. And now it's, that's down to maybe 30. And he was giving approximate numbers. And I don't know if that's right, sure. but it, bottom line, it's a lot. It's a lot more simple. They're repping a ton of plays or a ton of the same play in practice. They're doing able to formation more, motion more. Um, wide receivers are staying on the same side. So before you'd have a boundary and a field receiver and they'd switch sides depending on where they were supposed to be. Now there's, you know, if you're on the left, you're on the left, if you're on the right, you're on the right. Um, and that, I think they're excited about that. Um, we heard they're going to be more downfield passes. There's going to be more passes in the, interme- in the intermediate in the middle of the field, that 10 to 15 yard sweet spot. And we saw that in the spring game, especially with the tight end usage. Um, I do think that, the running game will still be extremely important. I know you hear Garrett Riley and kind of his background and you think air raid, um, but especially with Clemson's personnel and trying to, you know, play their strengths. You have Will Shipley and Phil Moffa, pretty good offensive line. Yeah. Um, I think you'll, I think you'll see the run game factor in quite heavily, especially if, you know, they spread out and you get some light boxes, but again, you've only got light boxes if you've got a threat outside. And I think that's where the biggest question is, is that outside wide receiver spot is their talent there. Absolutely. So, so DJU leaves for Oregon state and um, Kate Klubnick is now basically the the guy. Did you see signs or, or, or hear anything from, from, from your sources that indicate that he is you know, taking that next step going from freshman to you know, a lot of guys do make that leap in their second year? Yeah, I think so. Um, he's kind of been in the same boat as everyone else, including the staff, offensive staff, trying to learn the offense. Um, but I think one of the main things he tried to work on this offseason is um, – not getting so antsy in the pocket. I don't know if you saw in the orange bowl, he, he flushed the pocket a lot, um, put them in behind the chains and situations. So I think in the spring game, you saw that a little bit. I mean, he, it wasn't tackle, so you couldn't, I mean, it was a little subjective on whether he could have been sacked or not, but um, I think he's definitely working. on trying to get rid of, trying to get rid of the ball faster, um, staying in the pocket. And I think, too, like, you know, he hasn't had his wide receivers this spring. So it's been a little hard to judge. Some of his wide receivers, they've been hurt. Bill Collins has been hurt. Adam Randall, Troy Salato. Um, you're missing three true freshmen that are coming in. So um, 
I mean, Dabo has been super, was super, you know, complimentary of how he was this spring, but it's one of those things that, you know, let's, let's see it before we kind of know what, what kind of play we're getting from Kate in the fall. Are we getting like potential Heisman contender play? Are we getting, you know, okay, he's a sophomore. He's got a lot of talent, but he needs another year before we we kind of see that really blossom. For sure. Um, You mentioned the receiver position. If, if this unit becomes maybe not the strength of the offense, but something that is no longer a weakness. Who who has stepped up? Who has become a household name if if they get to where obviously Clemson fans want them to go? I think you need at least you probably want two of these, but at least one to really step up and become that alpha. And in that group I would include Antonio Williams, who's now a sophomore, really good as a freshman. But I mean, if you're talking like competing with Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, those teams like you really need him to take the next step. Um, Bo Collins is probably the main one I would circle in terms of like, all right, this is his money year, junior season. Is he kind of be the same player that we've seen freshman and sophomore year, which is good, but not elite. Can't necessarily be an alpha cornerback one-on-one press coverage when you know the ball is coming to him. That's what I want to see. Can he do that this year? Um, Adam Randall, true freshman last year, but he's been hurt various injuries didn't go through spring ball. So I'm skeptical that he's, you know, going to be all of a sudden number one, number two wide receiver this year. Um, and you got Cole Turner, who's a sophomore. I mean, he's good, but again, do you have these wide receivers that Clemson fans have been used to seeing um, and they brand themselves as wide receiver you. So that that's kind of what, um, that's kind of the question. So it's the expectations are high for sure, but I mean, that's where that's what they've got to be in college football right now at the wide receiver position. I think if you're going to try to win a national championship, for sure. I mean, and Clemson fans are certainly used to Clemson receivers that names getting called at the top of the draft or, or pretty yeah. frequently. Maybe not the last year uh, or or two. Uh, offensive line wise, so you do lose Jordan McFadden to to the NFL draft. Uh, everybody else who played returns. It. I assume there's pretty high confidence in this unit. Is there any real reason to worry there? Well. Jordan McFadden was the left tackle. So that would probably be the main concern is because there's not an obvious replacement. You're looking at Tristan Lee, a former five-star, but he had a lot of work coming in uh, to college to kind of reshape his body, learn the system. And, and he's done that, but it's just, is he ready to be a bona fide left tackle in college? Um, he's competing with Marcus Tate for the position who, who played left guard last year. So they're going to try to get the best five on the field. It remains to be seen kind of who takes over that left tackle position. Um, we got a couple of freshmen there in the mix, including Harris Sewell. Um, I think the right side is pretty set, center set. So it's just that left side. Um, they could kind of keep an eye on going into summer and fall camp. I, I feel like Clemson has done a nice job historically getting quality left tackle play out of guys who, at least by NFL standards, are, are more of a guard body. Right. So, like, I guess if you know, McFadden be, being one, like, I, he's not going to play tackle in the NFL, I, I would assume. Uh, so, it's, I feel Mitch like, it's, Mitch Hyatt. Right. Exactly. You know, um, shoot, there was somebody else too for a while that I, I can't remember now, but like, that's, that's at least something that they're comfortable with as a, as a program, I guess. Uh, turning to the defense now, I, it was a top 25 defense, which most teams would, would really enjoy having not quite up to Clemson's standards. I, I want to hit you with this because obviously, you know, new coordinator Wes, uh, how would Venables have done with this personnel and, and with the injuries they suffered? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Clemson's defense got better last year as the year went on. Um, so I think in, in, in terms of player development, it probably would have been about the same. But I think in the beginning of the year, you saw things that we just weren't used to seeing, which was included like some, some leakage against the run, like up the middle like against Florida State, for example. Like Florida State was able to run the ball in Clemson, and it was just – it was kind of weird. Like you would have normal. I feel like you, again, with Venables, you would have seen that those corrections made earlier. Um, Cornerback, I don't know how much you can put that on defensive coordinator because they lost Andrew Booth and Mario Goodrich the year before to the NFL draft, and they were breaking in new players at the position and had a bunch of injuries, like you said. So that was kind of tough to evaluate. Um, but, yeah, this year, I, I think just Wes is just more comfortable as a play caller. I mean, he's got a sharp mind. I think everyone in college football knows that, but it's different when you've got the headset on and you're calling the plays and – 
you know, you're on the sideline and, and it's just, just the, the game speed just a little bit more, uh, that it's just a little faster. So, um, he seems optimistic though, that like last year was kind of what he needed to get under his belt. Um, what I'm most interested in is the, is a pass rush, um, a defensive end. Uh, I was, I was going to go there next. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, glad you leave me there. So you lose Henry, you lose Murphy, you, you lose Brian Brzee. How does this unit avoid a, a I assume it's going to have somewhat of a drop off, but how does it avoid having a big drop off or, or maybe a maybe a small improvement? I guess. Well, I think defensive tackle could be even better, just because you have Tyler Davis stays healthy. Rugaroro could have gone to the NFL this year and probably gotten drafted. And then I think Peyton Page is going to be a good player. He was played hurt last year. Um, he's taken a step forward. And then I mean, staff can't stop talking about freshman Peter Woods. So. I mean, that's a good, yeah, Yeah. that's a good rotation right there. So, um, but defensive end is kind of where the question marks are in my mind. You've got Xavier Thomas, but he has struggled with injury. He didn't play in the spring. So can he stay healthy? And then on the other side, I mean, there's no obvious answer and coming out of still coming out of spring, you have a couple of guys that work hard, practice hard, do everything you want, but are they beating their man one-on-one getting to the quarterback? I don't think so. So um, I thought it was interesting. Um, defensive ends coach Lemansky Hall said this spring, he's like, I don't, I don't care if you're grading at 90%. He's like, I want someone, I don't care if you're, he's like, and you're not making plays, but if you're grading at like 52%, but you're getting to the quarterback and making plays and I'll play you, which isn't normally something we hear from Clemson staff. Yeah. You know, that's... which I think, I think the Clemson, I think the defensive coaches feel a little pressure this year. Um, put on them by Dabo a little bit to say, Hey, last year was not what we are up to, up to, up to par, up to standards. So um, bigger emphasis on making plays this year at all three levels. Linebacker should be totally fine with, with yeah. Trotter and Carter. I, I assume like, it, it's hard to lose a guy as athletic as Simpson, but I mean, Trotter Carter is a, is a great combo to have. Totally. And they can play multiple positions. And then you've got Wade Woodaz, who will play the Sam, who, who played well last year in a backup role. And then it'll be interesting to see how much he's really on the field. I mean, how much are they going to play the Sam linebacker versus the nickel? That's Andrew Makuba. Um, he's a smaller, I mean, he's a smaller body type to play in the box. But if he's not a liability there, you know, I think you'll see him on the field a lot. He might prove too valuable to take off. So the secondary, I mean, it's, probably the most concerning unit on, on the team last year at times just I, I remember looking weekly at the injury report when we were doing our coverage relocks like who is actually going to be playing on saturday for for clemson's secondary everybody who took any kind of meaningful snap is back so can you help me sort this out like who would you project to be the starters and how good do you think this unit can be Nate Wiggins will start at cornerback on one of the sides and, and he had a bad game against Wake Forest and everyone saw it, but he's a really talented player. And I think if he just does the, the little things right um, and becomes a better tackler and a more committed tackler on the edges, I, I, he's a great athlete. He's got great length. So he's all, everything you want in an NFL cornerback. So um, they're hoping that he's kind of that lockdown guy this year. And then on the other side, there should be some competition. You have Sheridan Jones, who's a veteran, but he's not necessarily someone that wows you with kind of his measurables. Um, you've got now Jaden Lucas and Toriana Pride, who are sophomores, but they got a lot of experience last year because of injury. So they're in the mix. Um, so it should be a good group at corner. And then at safety, um, yeah, you got a lot of experience coming back. You got RJ Mickens, who I think could be one of the more underrated safeties, one of the more underrated defenders in the country this year. Um, and then Jalen Phillips, a veteran, probably play the free safety spot. And like I've mentioned, Andrew McCuba, he'll be in there too. A couple of freshmen um, that might get some playing time. Khalil Barnes, I would keep an eye on him. Um, Wake Forest, of course, identified him first before the big dogs started coming in and, and he, he decommitted and went to Clemson, but was a playmaker in the spring game, had an interception. So um, they've got a lot of versatility in the second level, second and third levels, especially when you consider Barrett Carter can drop back, Wade Woodes can drop back. You know, you can do different things, which I think Clemson might have to do, especially in terms of generating a pass rush, um, disguising certain things, bringing guys from different areas, because I just don't know if you're going to get it from your two defensive end spots on a consistent basis. That makes sense. Uh, having a secondary that's much better certainly will help with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to shift here 
couple of, a couple more before, before we let you go. I really appreciate taking the time. And Adam's here from Clemson 24-7, does a great job. You guys should definitely check out the sites where I go for all my Clemson news. And BT Potter, underrated, I think, kicker. I mean, he's a really good kicker and a great kickoff guy. I mean, like over the last couple of years, I don't know if there's a better guy at, at, at kickoffs in terms of burying opponents inside the 25 and or, you know, like holding the touchbacks. Who who's the new kicker and do we know if he's any good or not? We don't know and we don't know to answer. Both oh, okay. Questions. For both. <laughs> yeah. So uh that was probably I think mid-spring Dabo said that was the one thing that he was probably most disappointed in or, or most unsure of was kicking. It was just had just been too inconsistent. You have Aiden Swanson, he's um, a fifth year, I think fourth year, fifth year um, guy. So in other words, he's been in the program for a while and he still just hasn't really taken that step. He's been in scholarship since he was a freshman, but hasn't taken that step to claim the job. They've got other guys in there, Robert Gunn, Jack Smith, kind of all competing for those specialist spots. And we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I just think you've had cons- inconsistency. Um, Dabo say, you know, you'll have one punt just absolutely boom it and then you'll have any you'll have a field goal you know a 60 yard field goal made and then the next day they can't they can't do that they're just like the most basic thing so um yeah i don't know that that could be something certainly to keep an eye on especially in close games yeah that that was uh so last year only six percent of clemson kickoffs came outside of the 30 which led the nation so i was like that's that's kind of a sneaky little advantage for for west's defense there um, Absolutely. Something to watch. All right, I'm gonna let you put on your GM hat here. Clemson didn't take any transfers uh, this year, and obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing if your rest of your roster is dynamite. Uh, but even Georgia took a couple this year, so we, you know, we are seeing teams start to do that more. If you were Clemson's GM, what positions would you have targeted for transfers? Um, even listening to this interview, I think the first position probably won't surprise you. I'll go wide receiver. Um, I mean, if they, if they're healthy, it's not, it's not a lack of bodies. It's not like they need to get more depth at the position. I just think there was probably, and there probably still is. I think Chris Hummer had a good article up recently saying there's still good wide receiver talent in the portal. Um, you know, I just, but Clemson didn't test those waters and I'm I'm not, I'm not saying I'm surprised they didn't, but I, I think they could have. Um, but I get it. You got, you got, you have a big freshman class coming in at wide receiver, three, potentially four. You have one athlete that could play either way, but he's going to start out playing wide offense. So that's four. Um, so I get you don't, don't want to bring in a, a portal guy from that perspective. But, um, yeah, I guess I would have just gotten someone that's proven – that shows that, that, that they can be that outside wide receiver and, and make those, you know, make those catches on, on the sideline and, and be their man down the field. Cause I just, I'm just, I don't know if Clemson's going to have that. Makes sense. All right. And final one here and really, really appreciate the time today. Uh, other than quarterback, what, what is the one position in your mind where the drop off between starter to backup is, is the most obvious? Starter to backup. That's a good question. Um, I go through it in my head. Got to go offense or defense? You can go go whichever one you want. Okay. Um, I might go center. Uh, <laughs> Will Putnam has been there for a while. Just really steady. Um, I mean, everything you want in a center. I mean, in a college center. And then backup, you have a couple of different guys that could probably fill that role. Ryan Linthicum, Trent Howard. But I don't know if Clemson wants either one of them consistently in there. And I think Will Putnam will play a ton of snaps. So, um, and center, I mean, that's a, probably one more of the more underrated, important positions in college football. I mean, if if, if you're your regular center, you don't if you don't notice them that much. That's probably a good thing. But if you're noticing the center play, that's not a great thing, you know, in certain aspects. So, um, he, he hasn't had an issue of staying healthy. So, uh, you know, Clemson hopes that that continues this year. Awesome. And Adams, Clemson 24-7. Thanks so much. Thanks, bud. Hey, guys. Bud Elliott here. 
And we are back with another episode of College Football Summer School on the Cover 3 Podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little Gophers. That's Minnesota. And for that, you know who i got to bring on. My man, Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated, the foremost expert on Minnesota out there. Ryan, welcome back to the show. I appreciate you having me back, man. Big fan yeah. of the Cover 3. I appreciate that. So, 8-4 uh, and four last year, regular season. Pretty solidly in the top 25 in all the power ratings, so it wasn't like they, they luck-boxed their way to that. Had a, had a nice performance, obviously, in the bowl game. Um, I feel like the vibes there, I don't have a great handle on that. Like, are fans happy with where P.J. Fleck has this team, or, or are they wanting more? I guess fans always do. But what what's kind of the vibe check there? I think uh, folks want to see them actually make it to a Big Ten title game. They have won eight regular season games, three of the last four seasons, which is really good for a place like the University of Minnesota. But somehow in all of those uh, three seasons, they didn't find a way to make the Big Ten championship game because of different tiebreakers and whatnot. Um, you know, you look at that 2019 season where they were able to win 10 games. They still didn't find out a way to make it. They're undefeated going into the final two games of the season and they end up dropping both. And because of that, they don't make it to Indianapolis. And so that's where now it's going to be year seven of the Fleck era. They want to see it's going to look a lot different both on offense and defense, especially though offensively where Minnesota graduates, one of the best running backs to ever wear a go for uniform and Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, I think he was number two in the country last year in yards after contact behind this guy you might have heard on, Bijan Robinson. So uh, they leaned on him heavily. They only threw the ball more than the service academies, and that's going to change a lot now as we usher in what is going to be the eighth and Cali McManus era at the state, here at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Four-star prospect on 24-7 sports when he came out of high school in 2020 was one of those covid uh, guys that signed, but he has impressed since he has put on the uniform. And you saw the flashes when Minnesota beat Wisconsin last year in Camp Randall. He threw for over 300 yards, which I, when we're talking about a team that was them and the service academies for passing attempts for most of the year, the offense just completely changes when you have a guy like Ethan Kalik Manis. So for Minnesota this year, I think there's going to be bumps in the road. Uh, number one, the schedule, I think, is awfully daunting with Ohio State and Michigan on it. Plus, you travel to Iowa City where you haven't won since 1999. But I do think that as they as this team goes from game one to game 13, they're going to get a lot better. I mean, I'm, as you know, Minnesota here in 2023, I think will be fine. I think they're a, probably a seven-ish win team. But 2024 is where I think this team has a chance to be really special if they can hold everybody off in the portal and get everybody back for one more year. So let's focus on offense a little bit more. Last year, just a, a pretty disappointing effort. As you mentioned, you did have a, a great running back, and yet you lost games in which they allowed 20, 26, and 13 points, which in 2022, you generally feel like you want to win if you're holding the opponent to those numbers. On a down-to-down basis, the offense had some efficiency. But it just had zero explosiveness. I mean, one of the absolute least explosive Power Five offenses in the country, and the passing game just just terrible. I mean, like more more touchdowns. Well, not more touchdowns, or excuse me, yes, more touchdowns than picks, but not not by a lot. Uh, the completion percentage. Uh, sell me on Kelly Monix. Like, like this is this is interesting. I, I think he's got a big arm. The numbers last year were pretty bad, though. I mean, negative right. touchdown interception ratio, fifty four percent completions. A really high number of sacks relative to the amount of pressure allowed. What what are you seeing that the numbers aren't capturing? This is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'll say a little bit about last year's offense. It was essentially the Mo offense. That's what Fleck called it here. They just they haven't had any trust in the receivers both of the last two seasons. Whether it's between injuries, their number one receiver went down in the not conference, tore his ACL and meniscus. Chris Ottman Bell, he's coming back for a seventh year. They just really couldn't find, to your point, any explosive plays. It was. I mean, we had talked with the offensive coordinator at the time, Kirk Chiraca, who's now at Rutgers running it, uh, about those explosive plays because they just weren't generating any. It's so tough because you would see them have 10, 12, 14, 16 play drives. And as much as I enjoy watching things like that, I would love to see a five-play, 75-yard drive. And so they were lacking explosiveness, and they knew it. And so that's where you look at what they've done here with the transfer portal. Replacing Mo Ibrahim is going to be Sean Tyler, someone Minnesota flipped from Oklahoma State, a Western Michigan transfer, very explosive in his time at Western Michigan, two-time All-Mac, someone that averaged over six yards a carry, had multiple return touchdowns. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. And that was one of the issues last year. Mo was fantastic, and I will really never say a bad thing about him, but the one knock on him was his speed. He would get to green, and he wouldn't be able to finish it. 
when Sean Tyler gets the green, he's going to be able to finish it. But then you also look at what Minnesota did in terms of bringing in a couple of receivers, one by the name of Elijah Spencer, was the 2021 Conference USA Freshman of the Year as a true freshman. Uh, improved upon that performance in 2022, and I thought he looked the part here this spring at a giant spring game, even though I'm not one to big put a ton on spring game performances. But Minnesota also brought in Corey Crooms, who was one of the best slot receivers uh, last year in the MAC, second team all MAC last year, really good PFF numbers, and so that's where Minnesota knows that last year the strength was their offensive line and their running backs. Well, they lost their starting three interior guys, including John Michael Schmitz, top sixty pick of the New York Giants, and now it's revolving back to you have Brevin Span Ford, who I think is going to be the one of the best tight ends in in college football. His PFF grades were in the high eighties last year, only dropped three passes. Caught the most amount of passes a Minnesota tight end has had since 2006. But to your point, they knew they needed to get more explosive. And that's where you look at what they've done. They bring in Sean Tyler. They bring in Elijah Spencer. They bring in Corey Crooms. You return Brevin Span forward. And then you have Ethan. To your point, the numbers weren't great at times. And that's where when he did get in, it was usually in garbage time against Illinois. And then Tanner Morgan goes down. His first career starts in a whiteout against Penn State, which – I don't wish that upon anyone, but you look at how he improved over those last couple of games of the season, Uh, 300 yards, like I mentioned against Wisconsin. I just think that, like I said, 2023, there's going to be some bumps along the road of the eighth and Caliac Manus era, but I will, I mean, I will plant the flag that Minnesota hasn't had a quarterback drafted since the 1960s. It's been really bad for a long time here. I think if Ethan hits his ceiling here in the next couple of seasons, I don't think we'll start to see that certainly this year, but I think he can finally end the drought. I think he's that talented, and you see enough flashes that they are building this offense around the Greek rifle is what they call him here. And so it's going to be some bumps in the road in 2023, but like I said, that's things where I think they're gearing up for 2024, but their skills and their strengths revolve from last year was the running game to this year it's going to be the passing game. You mentioned last year a strong offensive line to lean on. Obviously, the the best center – in the country, uh, two guards uh, who also depart, who were third team, all Big Ten. Uh, how big of a step back are you anticipating for this group? It'll be a step back to me. Again, when you're replacing three six-year guys who all had great PFF grades, all were an integral part of what they did. I uh, do return two of the starters from last year. Your left tackle, Ariante Ursary, who Minnesota's incredibly high on, didn't look. It was up and down performance, I think, in year one for him. Uh, They're going to slide in Quinn Carroll from right tackle to right guard. He was a Notre Dame transfer, started every game at right tackle for them. Had great run game numbers, struggled against these faster edge players, so they're going to move him into guard. So you've mitigated some of that. At right tackle, you're either going to have a fifth-year guy in Martez Lewis or a different fifth-year guy in J.J. Gaudet. Same thing goes at center. You're going to have a six-year guy likely in Nathan Bowe. So they're going to be old up front. They're going to be inexperienced. I think left guard is going to be a spot to watch in terms of how they try to mitigate that. But I also think Cali McManus's, uh, I would say, athletic abilities to move the pocket, probably do some more sprint outs, boot outs, because Minnesota knows that they're probably going to take a step back up front. You're going to have four new starters at different spots uh, with Quinn Carroll moving around, but they are going to be old. I mean, if there's one thing I've seen through a few rebuilds, whether it was the Tim Brewster era or the Jerry Kill era, I hate playing first and second year guys in the Big Ten because more times than not, you're going against grown men that are 22, 23, and even in the COVID era, 24 years old. And so that's where they have enough guys. It's just trying to figure out the best combination. And that's what Brian Callahan, their offensive line coach, is trying to figure out. Sounds like the offense will look different. The defense will still need to carry it, though, which, hey, recent years in Minnesota, that has not been a problem. Uh, no, Joe Rossi's got this again. thing moving, man. I mean, he does, man. Like, Joe Rossi knows what he's doing. This is, yeah, I mean, it's going to be. Uh, you look at why they were so successful last year. I think they didn't allow more than 20 or more points in their final, like, seven games of the season since that Penn State game. You're not only allowing that, I think you're going to have a chance in every football game. They were tremendous on third down last season. I think they ended the season number two in the country in terms of getting off the field on third down. And they did all that with an incredibly mediocre uh, pass rush. It was terrible. Yeah. And I have said multiple times, I think that 22 defensive line was the most underachieving unit in the Fleck era here. For the amount of talent I think they have there, 
it just didn't click with Brick Haley in his only ten, his only year here. Now he's the Purdue defensive line coach. I'll tell you, uh, it's been a breath of fresh air to see, I think, more opportunity for some different guys up front. They do lose Trill Carter to Texas. Uh, that one surprised me a little bit because I thought he was incredibly up and down. And he had, a, I mean, he took transfer visits to places like Ohio State or even Illinois, who, again, I think Illinois' front seven and defensive line specifically is tremendous. Even Illinois wanting him surprised me a little bit. But to me, this Rossi defense does two things incredibly, incredibly well, which you'll see every year. They limit explosive plays and they bend, don't break in the red zone. So, you know, like I do, if you have to force a team to drive 8, 10, 12, 14 plays, especially in college football, there's a great opportunity for them to make a mistake. And so that's what you've seen now from Joe Rossi is they limit explosive plays. They get off the field on third down. And when you do those two things, even with only one NFL draft pick on that defense last year, I think you're doing pretty well. I don't know if you guys get to watch scrimmages at Minnesota, but just clicked in my head that given Rossi's defensive style and given Minnesota's lack of explosive plays last year, like those scrimmages had to be just grueling to watch, right? <laughs> All right. A, a tw- 27 play field goal drive for, for the Minnesota offense against the Minnesota defense. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, the, it's the uh, movable object, you know, that whole, that mm-hmm. whole thing. So it, it, it wasn't great at times. I'll, I hundred percent agree with you. I, I don't know the way to ask this, and I don't intend it to be a, like a. Obviously, like I talk about Joe Rossi on Cover Three, we've talked about him several years in a row on sure. on summer school. This defense rated like top ten adjusted for opponent, and yet I'm still looking at this. I'm like, how much of this is like they just played some horrendous offenses down the stretch too? Like, does this talent wise? You mentioned they had one guy drafted, and yet mm-hmm. top ten defense. Like the coaching job done there is awesome. I also wonder like how much is actually related to some of the offenses that they played down the stretch that were just kind of in, in, incompetent, if you will. But it, it's, I, don't, I guess I don't have a question. I'm just, does this feel like a top 10 defense to you, like nationally? I would say if you're looking for star power, no. It, I mean, it's not. It's not the horses that you see on the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world, certainly. But as a collective unit, I mean, I would argue it's the whole Phil Parker effect to a, sure. a lesser extent probably here. Phil Parker is so good at Iowa getting one through 11 on that defense to buy into what they're doing. And that's what we've seen here at Minnesota is they can get those guys to buy in. And so that's where I talk about that defensive line didn't have anybody on there last year. And now, again, I think that they have a chance to be a lot better up front. Everybody gets another year of experience. They got some things to replace a linebacker and a corner. But they got one of the best safeties in the country. And Tyler Newbin, who returns, would have been a top 100 draft pick. In the last draft, he's hoping to go on that Antoine Winfield range of that 28 to 40 uh, where Antoine went. But it's just getting people to buy in to just do your job. I mean, they had a kid a couple years ago by the name of Boye Mafe, uh, ended up being a second-round pick of the Seattle Seahawks. And they benched him for a time to start the 2021 season because he wasn't playing hard against the run. I mean, I wouldn't say it goes as far as it's the whole Lucas Van Ness thing at Iowa where he never started a game and became a first-round draft pick. But if you're not going to do your job here, Rossi and, and these coaches are going to notice. But it's the buy-in from 1 to 11 to the do your job, and the scheme is so sound that Rossi knows what he's doing, and if everybody buys in, you're going to limit these explosive plays. Ryan, you mentioned that they do lose quite a bit at linebacker. I mean, two pretty good linebackers are very productive, uh, you know, drafted or not, still. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your level of expectation for that room this year? It's not incredibly high. I do think they probably take a step back there. You have Mariano Sori Marin ending his eligibility, uh, played a ton of football for Minnesota the last four years. You lose uh, Braylon Oliver to Georgia Tech, who is a part-time player for them. Uh, Donald Willis, who is another part-time player for them. That's what the portal has done to Minnesota. You know, other teams, it takes their top players necessarily. For Minnesota, it has just severely taken away any depth that they might have had. You know, some guys want bigger roles, and they weren't going to get bigger roles, and they you know, I would say going from Minnesota to Georgia Tech, peace and love to Georgia Tech. I think it's a step down. Now, yeah. I also believe in the power two conferences, not the power five. So I'm biased. But even Donald Willis going to Western Michigan. I mean, that's a complete rebuild in year one. And they're going to be lucky to win a few games. So it's going to be Cody Lindenberg, who's going to have to take a step forward. Someone that both Joe Rossi and PJ Fleck have said they think he's going to be the highest drafted 
linebacker of the Fleck tenure, whether at Western Michigan or Minnesota. Now, that's not a high bar to clear because they haven't had a ton of linebackers drafted, but he's very gifted there. And then it's going to be inexperienced. They did bring in a Western Michigan graduate transfer by the name of Ryan Seelig, played a lot of football for the Broncos the last two seasons, but it's just a lot of inexperience behind them. They think that they have some young guys that certainly look the part, but they got to get their feet wet. And so that's where it's going to be it's another spot where I think there's going to be bumps in the road at times as they try to learn, other than Cody Lindenberg, who is going to be able to play a Big Ten linebacker. This secondary last year was just dynamite, right? Like the communication, they didn't they didn't allow free runners at all. Like they, they allowed this team to blitz and had to blitz quite a bit at times mm-hmm. just to get pressure. Not, not that they were like, like a crazy blitz team, but like, as you mentioned, when they got pressure, it was generally because they were sending more than you could block, not, not because the front was necessarily winning. They lose a couple guys here. Uh, here they have taken a, what two transfers or one transfer. I guess it depends on, on how you classify the backer. Uh, I assume this unit doesn't see a big drop off, or, or is there cause for concern here? Uh, my biggest worry on the entire team right now is corner. Uh, oh, so okay, yeah. So that's where you look at Terrell Smith. Uh, the light finally came on for him in year five. Battled a lot of soft tissue injuries. Battled some just poor play at times. And then he put it together in 2022. Became a fifth-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears. Their, their cornerback three, Beanie Bishop, ended up hitting the portal, goes to West Virginia. And their cornerback four from last year, and Ryan Stapp, ended up just deciding midway through spring ball to hang up the cleats. So they have to replace a lot there. Now, they ended up bringing in a couple of uh, – transfers in terms of one from Georgia Southern, Tyler Bride, and then an Elon transfer by the name of Trayvon Jones. Two guys that have played a lot of football, both in the Sun Belt and the FCS, guys that have played over a 1,000 snaps the last two seasons on defense. PFF grades look promising, but it's going to be how quickly can you get them assimilated into this defense because behind them, it's going to be two second-year guys by the name of Ryan Kelly and Tariq Watson. You also got to replace your slot in terms of Michael Dixon ended up hitting the portal going to Rutgers. Minnesota brought in another transfer, but from southeastern Louisiana, Jack Henderson, who all conference in the FCS, PFF grades look great. I thought he passed the eye test for me here in the spring. They also brought in an Auburn transfer by the name of Craig McDonald at that same slot position. But it's going to be how how quickly can these transfers get up to speed? I mean, you don't, you're not going to know on these two corners if you hit on them until game one against Nebraska. So it's going to be how quickly can they try to patch these holes? I think they've done a good job of it for a school that doesn't have a lot of NIL to offer via the portal. But it's going to be how quickly can they get them assimilated because it's safety. You know, I talked about how I, th- I feel uh, a lot of question marks at corner. Safety, I think, is arguably the most talented spot on the entire team with Tyler Newman being the headliner there. So it's going to be an interesting contrast for Joe Rossi because last year the defensive line and, you know, you're – your safeties necessarily were kind of a little bit suspect at times. Well, now it's going to rotate to, I got questions in the linebacking core and a corner, and I feel a lot better about the safeties and the defensive line. So just like the offense, I think the strengths and weaknesses of this team have evolved from year over year. I I guess if you, well, two things, one Southeast Louisiana, having two transfers that are are like Minnesota level good is wild because LSU also mm-hmm. took a corner for, from uh, Southeast Louisiana. So whoever was on that staff four or five years ago did a tremendous job of scouting some of these guys out of the high school ranks, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's a pretty cool story. Number two, at least with the exception of the North Carolina game, I don't think any of these teams that Minnesota plays in the month of September are, are teams that really scare you throwing the football. Like Nebraska, probably not going to have an amazing passing offense in week mm-hmm. one. Northwestern has not really played offense in, in about a half decade now. Louisiana Lafayette, mm-hmm. okay, like both their kids actually missed the spring game too, quarterback-wise, and were hurt at the end of, end of the season. So I don't really know what their status is. And Eastern Michigan is is not really a, a threat. So like you have you have a solid five, six weeks there with the exception of having to play Drake May, which is, you know, right. legit. But like if you did drop that game, it doesn't hurt you in, in your Big Ten West, you know, championship chase. Yeah, it's going to be how quickly can you get ready for Drake May and what they got going on there. Now, it's obviously a different offensive coordinator for North Carolina, but you still got was going to projected to be a first round draft pick at quarterback. Now, I'd also say I'm not the biggest Jeff Sims guy in the world. I think he's got like career completion percentage, 57, 30 touchdowns, 23 interceptions. I know he's got obviously adds a lot with his legs, but to your point. I think you can look up and down the schedule. Drake May is the best quarterback. They probably play with a bullet because we're going to find out yet 
Um, you know, who Ohio State's going to start there. You know, J.J. McCarthy's obviously very talented, but it's going to be funny because it's going to be three really good quarterbacks and then nine guys who are going to be like, okay, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's how quickly can you get ready for Drake May with that secondary? And to your point, they'll at least have two weeks to do so beforehand. Uh, oh, another note, if you want it on North Carolina, I haven't done their summer school episode yet, but I did hear through the grapevine that they uh, they think that transfer they took from Kent State, Walker, uh, is an absolute hit at receiver. So uh, that'll be good for the preview. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So where is the biggest drop off for this football team other than quarterback, as I will say quarterback, between the quality of the starters and the quality of the backups? Like what position group that just, all right, they're fine if they stay healthy, but if they don't stay healthy at this spot, they have real trouble. Oh, that's a good question. I would say corner. I mean, if those transfer corners go down, you're going to be relying on two guys that have only been in college for 12 months and Tariq Watson and Rylan Kelly. And I think while the clay is there for them to be pretty good, Rylan Kelly is 6'1", ran a 4'4 in high school. Tariq Watson, great times coming out of Louisiana with the 100 meter, was one of the fastest kids in Louisiana in that cycle. I think there's just so little depth there. I mean, they might be relying on a true freshman from Georgia with the name of Zaquan Bryan, who is a near four-star for us on 24-7 sports. But that's the one position where I just think they've tried to address it via the portal, and I think they have. But it's going to come down to, can those transfers stay healthy? Can you get them up to speed? Because I just think those high school guys are going to need another year or two. So I still worry a little bit about corner because at offensive line, you're old enough. I think at running back, it's not going to be Mo Ibrahim caliber. but I never expected it to be, but I still think there's talent there. So I, I still will stick with corner there. We will be checking out Gopher Illustrated every day as we watch Minnesota try to chase down that Big Ten West Championship. Ryan, really appreciate the time. Appreciate you, bud.